You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. I was following this story that developed over the weekend. You may have heard that eight pro-life advocates were actually arrested over the weekend for praying in front of an abortion clinic in North Carolina. One of the persons there praying was David Benham, one of the two Benham twins. You may remember them. They had a show on HGTV. Uh, It's fascinating to me because David Benham was out there. There's a video of the arrest. These eight people were gathering in a group of less than 10 people. They were on, you know, a public sidewalk. Uh, They were social distancing, following all of the guidelines that we have been given in the midst of the coronavirus. And it poses a question for us. Is prayer important at this point in history? Are the souls of women and children important? You know, even if we're following the guidelines that we are being given, um, why is it that these people were arrested for praying in front of an abortion clinic that has allowed to operate with services that are not necessary, medically necessary services at this point in history? It's so confusing. I mean, why aren't the abortion clinics opening up beds to help care for people with coronavirus right now? It just begs the question and it shows how politically heated some of this debate has been and I just want to thank everyone who's supported the crisis pregnancy centers who have been on the front line helping women in crisis pregnancy right now and a shout out to everyone who has made a sacrifice within safe guidelines to still be present in front of the abortion clinic for those women who are still going in day in and day out who are mothers and still leave mothers, but a mother of a dead child. And so I ask you to continue to pray for the abortion issue and people who are considering having an abortion. Joining me today is Bradley Hahn. He's a co-founder and CEO of Solidarity HealthShare, a Catholic Christian nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that actually offers an ethical and affordable alternative to traditional health insurance. Brad and I are going to be talking about everything from the inside scoop on the coronavirus. He's worked with the Trump administration, Health and Human Services right now, to talking about advanced health care directives and what we should do to better handle end-of-life decisions that maybe might be a little more um, in our face right now, given the crisis of the coronavirus. So again, welcome to Brad Hahn from Solidarity HealthShare. Yes, thank you, Timory. It's a blessing to be on your show again. It's wonderful to have you, and thank you for always being here and such a great supporter of Trending. We wanted to talk specifically about part of what we're going to see in terms of changes, long-term changes, because of the coronavirus in the healthcare industry. I know I'm looking at some things that are saying we're going to see um, kind of there was a shift before the coronavirus to downsize hospitals and to maybe even you know have fewer hospitals and increase telemedicine. I think this is really being brought into question considering part of what's happened with the coronavirus. So give us an inside scoop of what kind of you're seeing as the future changes when this all passes. Yeah, I think the biggest thing we're seeing right now is just the shortage of hospital beds. And that goes into the uh, the rules and regulations in the Affordable Care Act about how a bed is, is paid for in a hospital system. And I think, too, is we have to have a strike a balance between, you know, profits in hospitals, even these nonprofits are worried about their profits in the in the hospital system, and what's good for the common good out there for society. 
And that's where we got really behind the curve here on these hospital beds. So I'll give you an example. Uh, St. Luke's Hospital here in Phoenix it was an eight-story hospital, uh, but it was losing money. And so the, the non-for-profit hospital system shut it down because it wasn't profitable enough. Now, that took the number of beds, um, hospital beds in Arizona, and took out eight floors of beds. And now we're looking to reopen those, that, those hospital systems right now, that hospital of St. Luke's, in the midst of this coronavirus. So that's where we have to have a balance, you know, what's profitable, not profitable, and what's good for the, for the, the populace here to make sure we have enough beds. So that's kind of the first thing we have to be very mindful of. And I think you're going to see a correction on that, on those bed ratios in the hospital system, to so make sure that we can handle a pandemic like this in the hospital system. Um, yep. The other issue I see, too, is, Oh, go ahead, Timmy. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just, all I was going to say is, you know, money makes the world go round, but sometimes when we overemphasize profit, like you said, we lose sight of the common good, the common goal, and the goal is solid quality health care. Um, and we're no better than places like Planned Parenthood who saw money in abortion rather than other services and emphasize that if we put profit above the common good and care of people day to day. And here we're being tested right now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I've seen this, too. I was just on uh, right before this radio interview here. I was on the phone with uh, a staffer in, in Congress. He's in the House of Representatives. And we're having this conversation is with the hospital systems losing money right now because the elective procedures, elective surgeries aren't being performed. And that's a big money for hospital systems. And so how are they going to make up that revenue? And traditionally, what hospitals do to make up that revenue, they take it out on the cash pay, the uninsured. You know, and my concern here is this current environment with hospitals are going to continue gouging uh, the self-pay, cash-pay, the uninsured patient here in this country to make up for lost revenue that they're not receiving. And so that's what I'm working with Health and Human Services and Congress on right now is how do we protect the, the little guy? You know, because if you don't have a job and you're unemployed, you don't want to go into a hospital system and pay, you know, 1,000, 2,000 percent above what Medicare would pay for your same service. So we're trying to build protections into these stimulus bills to protect the, the common good and protect those people that are less fortunate. As you said, you're working with high-level advisors there within the Trump administration in the midst of this crisis. Tell me, as CEO of Solidarity HealthShare, you've been working even with health and human services. What are you learning right now about what's happening with the coronavirus? Well, I think a lot of it is uh, operation where they thought with the early memos that came out of the White House and this finally went public today, I noticed on, on one of the, the news site websites, is that they were estimating the internal, internal sites were about two to three million deaths if they didn't do some kind of stay at home, stay home you know, protection nationally. And so now they're going to try to curb the deaths down to a, a couple hundred thousand. That's their goal. And it looks like we should be, you know, prayfully, hopefully uh, far below that. And so that was kind of the initial reaction, what caused this chain reaction to, uh, to trigger a lot of these shutdowns at the state level. But what I'm most impressed with is the, the Trump administration. They're always trying to, to protect religious liberty. And I'll give you an example. There's a program right now called the Paycheck Protection Program, where um, even nonprofits now can apply for this program to get their payroll paid. And forget, the debt would be forgiven by the federal government if you use this loan for payroll. Uh, for the next three months. And so how the SBA, the Small Business Association rules apply, um, Solidarity HealthShare couldn't apply for those, those loans because we would have to violate um, our religious liberties by some of the provisions they want to discriminate against us. And so we were able to work with a key senator there, our lawyers were, to get the, to get the SBA to release uh, uh, religious liberty protections for these loans. And so we played a role in getting that conversation to happen. 
and, and to really protect these small ministries that need help with payroll over the next couple of months. Now, what's the outcome of that looking? Is it positive? Oh, it's very positive. They issued regulations saying basically says that uh, on the bottom of the new regs, page 27, paragraph 5 on the bottom, it basically says is any person who applies for this uh, paycheck protection program, their religious liberty, their constitutional First Amendment rights may not be infringed upon. Praise God. So that, that was uh, a huge victory for us. But you can see where uh, Trump, the administration, is really fighting for, uh, for religious liberty. And there's some good people back in D.C. trying to help out, you know, religious not-for-profits. And, uh, and that's been a true blessing. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. Joining me today is a Brad Hahn, co-founder and CEO of Solidarity HealthShare. They're an affordable and affordable alternative to traditional health insurance. Brad, can you mention maybe some of the conscience violations that were you to be able to utilize to begin with before you guys started negotiating um, these, you know, things to help with payroll? What would those violations have been? Well, the first thing is, since we're on um, Solidarity is a, a religious not-for-profit that's faithful to teaching the church, you know, we discriminate in our hiring. You know, we want to make sure that our employees uphold, almost as ministers of solidarity, to uphold the teaching of the Catholic Church, you know, and so, and have a lifestyle that reflects the teaching of the Church. And you can see right there, that violates a lot of the culture beliefs right now, and that's what the, the, the Small Business Association would now would not allow discrimination in, in employment to protect your Catholic identity. Mm-hmm. And so that's the one thing that we were able to uh, to expunge from the Small Business Association. That's the big thing, is the is the hiring practice. Excellent. And this is so important at this point in history. We've been seeing this in many dioceses and Catholic universities and parochial schools across the nation that schools and religious organizations, nonprofits should be able to hire according to their mission and have people hired who believe in their mission. Otherwise, what's the point of what they're doing? Um, you're absolutely right, Emory. And if we look at it, too, is that was a, a Supreme Court case a couple of years ago called Hosanna Tabor. It was a Lutheran school teacher um, that was fired. And it was interesting, that case, that was a 9 nothing decision upholding religious liberty. So we're on solid grounds here with this, the current Supreme Court decision was on it to bore to really live out our faith um, through our ministry, our nonprofit ministries. Praise God. You guys are doing great work there. Any other key insights into the coronavirus, given that you've been working directly with the administration, I'm sure even more so over the last month or so? Yeah, what we've been seeing, too, is uh, part of the uh, everlasting changes we're going to see in healthcare. We talked about the hospital beds, and we talked about this paycheck protection program, but we've been seeing a really big uh, utilization in telehealth. Now, Solidarity has been using telehealth for our members for the last uh, year and a half, and we've seen our members calling in to telehealth, usually for COVID-19 issues. Uh, we've seen about a 200% increase wow. over the last couple of months. Wow, that's Brad Hahn, co-founder and CEO of Solidarity HealthShare. You can learn more about Solidarity by heading over to SolidarityHealthShare.org. Again, that's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Coming up, we're going to be talking about whether or not healthcare, and I really want you to think about this and have your answer, and then we're going to tease this out in just a few minutes here, whether or not healthcare should be rationed for the elderly, and should there be preferential treatment for younger, more healthy individuals. We'll be talking about that more right here on Trending with Timory. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T I M M E R I E. 
You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. you all a question just a second ago. Do you think that healthcare resources such as respirators should be rationed for the elderly with preferential treatment for younger individuals? I really want to hear your answers. Uh, we'll be talking about that and breaking down a very well-balanced perspective on this issue in just a minute here. But first, I have with me Bradley Hahn, who's the co-founder and CEO of Solidarity HealthShare. Again, they're an affordable alternative to traditional health insurance that has Catholic Christian principles to how they work their health sharing ministry. Brad, you are working directly with Health and Human Services and the Trump administration, both before the coronavirus pandemic and now during it. You mentioned that you have some concern about how we'll see prescriptions and the partnership with China played out moving forward and even during this crisis. Yeah, what I've been seeing is, uh, and there have been some coverage on this, you know, 80% of our prescription drugs are, are produced in China. And, and I think we're seeing kind of a backlash now against China for not controlling these viruses coming out of these wet markets. Mm-hmm. And I think you're going to see a shift, not only with prescription drugs, but with other industries too, you know, microprocessors and such like that in technology. I think you're going to start seeing them shift away from China as a result of this, this situation. And there's already talked about moving some of these pharmaceutical companies out of China and moving them over to maybe, you know, uh, Vietnam or India or some other places off in, in the east, far east like that. So I think you're going to see a trend, but this isn't going to happen overnight because it, to shut down a, you know, a manufacturing business and reopen it in another country takes years to, in the supply chain would take years to, uh, to create in, in transition. But I think, I think you're going to see a trend there of trying to get less dependent on China, especially at the at the outbreak of this coronavirus. Well, and we can say it's about time. Maybe that'll be the good thing that comes out of the coronavirus is our dependence and our support for the Chinese government that has been incredibly harmful toward their people with communism, with the one child policy, with the fact that they're allowing, you know, young children. I mean, for example, they're removing children from homes if they violate the one child or if you want to call, I won't break it down now, the quote unquote false two child policy. You know, they're removing these children from the homes from their parents and then they end up in an orphanage or on the black market. And then in China, I think once the kid hits about 13-ish, the child is considered an adult and is just put on the street from the orphanage without any type of birth certificate, any type of right to medical care. What they are doing to their people is atrocious. And so to be able to pull some of that industry out of China is a very, very good thing. Yeah, that's what we're going to have to do. And I think um, that's where the free market principles can come into play here, too, is United States companies do not want to be shut down for prolonged times, and especially with China, you know, the main, you know, main people behind the, the outbreak of this is uh, it's time to, to look for alternatives. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. With me today is Brad Hahn, CEO and co-founder of Solidarity HealthShare. Brad, I was just asking the question, should there be preferential treatment for young people over giving the elderly certain things such as respirators? And I want to throw, you know, two scenarios out here because sometimes we think, yeah, well, of course we should, you know, try to care for people who have a higher likelihood of recovering. And that might be your attitude. You know, they have all their life ahead of them. But there are two scenarios here. On one side, I'm thinking of the movie A Quiet Place. A couple came out a couple years ago where if you make noise, these monsters 
are going to come after you and try to kill you. And the father made the ultimate sacrifice for his family, gave himself up to the monsters and died a heroic death, offering himself up for his family. On the other end, imagine two people in a room right now having to do with the coronavirus. Both are ill and Instead of, for example, the person choosing of their own volition to give up their respirator like that heroic priest we heard about in Italy just a few weeks ago and save the life of a young person, a doctor and other people are choosing, we're not going to give that respirator to this person. We're just going to choose to give it to this person because they're younger. Totally different scenarios, yet we'd think, oh, you know, this is the better thing. What do you think about this healthcare rationing crisis that we're in the midst of? I mean, Washington State just a few weeks ago was talking about how they would ration healthcare for the young over the elderly. Well, this uh, rationing of healthcare, what we're seeing in this country, is, is not something new just because of the COVID 19 virus. Um, it, it's based on an argument of utilitarianism, mm. is if you're no longer an active, productive member of society, uh, you're no longer uh, a viable resource to society, therefore we can extinguish you and kill you. That's, that's what these, um, these euthanasia laws that are popping out throughout the state. And one of the most alarming uh, court opinions I've ever read was out of the state of Montana, which they euthanized an older man there, and they basically used the utilitarian argument there. And so I think what we have to do is retract this whole thinking on utilitarianism, especially when it comes to life, and get our culture re-educated again on the value and respect for dignity of all human life. Now, with that being said, is there are some very difficult decisions that have to be made. You know, and you hear examples of heroic virtues, of a heroic death to give up. That's that person's call to make. It's not the medical system or the doctors. But you do have to look at Catholic moral teaching on this, too, is, you know, what's considered ordinary and what's considered extraordinary care, or sometimes they refer to proportionate or disproportionate care. You know, that that comes into this. And the example I like to use is this, is, you know, here in the United States, I'm sitting here in Phoenix looking out at a beautiful 85-degree day today, and if I'm not being able to digest food or something like that, I got some digestive issues, I can go get, uh, you know, feeding tube put in. You know, it's very routine now. You know, you can do it very easily here in a first-world country like Phoenix in the, in the United States. But if I was living up in the, in the Andes Mountains, you know, in South America, at 10,000 feet where there's no feeding tubes, right, that could be considered extraordinary care. Because mm-hmm. what would I have to do? I'd have to go down the mountain. I'd have to get on an airplane, travel to a big country. You know, that burden it would place on me physically to get there could possibly be deemed, you know, extraordinary. So I think we always have to look at when we treat somebody, is this ordinary care or, you know, extraordinary care, proportionate or disproportionate care, and make that decision. But ultimately, that decision, based on moral teaching and and divine law, is is up to the individual, uh, Mm -hmm. whether to receive care or not. And I think if we just kind of keep that balance in mind, I think we can make some good decisions and really try to gear direct society away from this utilitarian approach. That's Brad Hahn, co-founder and CEO of Solidarity HealthShare. You're listening to Trending with Timory. You know, you touched on something earlier about how we have this utilitarian mindset with regard to people today. We see it in the abortion issue. If someone's um, perceived as maybe going to be born poor, well, there's this justification made that, well, they should be aborted. Or if there's this perspective of, well, the parent's not really going to want them, well, they should be aborted because they're not useful to the people who have maybe conceived them. And so, you know, we are very wasteful with people. And like, 
like you said, we're wasteful with the elderly as well. You know, we don't see the sage wisdom that's present in our elderly. We don't even see the basic value of a person, even if they weren't capable of doing anything, even if they were paralyzed, you know, we're giving this preferential treatment in our culture. It's something that all of us really kind of need to ponder a little bit more because I think a lot of people could easily answer the question, well, yeah, maybe healthcare should be rationed for the elderly and preferably given more so to younger individuals. But that's not the decision to be forcefully made by a doctor rather than a person like that heroic priest giving up his respirator to another younger individual whose life he saved. Yeah, that's what we see. I mean, anytime you start matriculating closer to government-run health care, you know, single-payer system, Medicare for all, whatever you want to go to with the government pays for health care, the next argument after health care for all that the federal government must pay for, the next argument falls in line with utilitarian argument. You know, then now the government is deciding what's best for you and your family based on these issues. And I like to do, what, especially what we do here at Solidarity Health Share, is to me, it's time to restore the doctor-patient relationship. So who's best to make decisions for my health care, my wife's health care, my, my kids' health care? It's, it's the decision between me and my doctor. It's not the decision between me and the federal government or me and the insurance company that's making those decisions. It should be based on what um, my, me and my doctor can do. This is part of the reason why I love the work you guys are doing there at Solidarity, because you help to keep that patient-doctor communication clear above a board. Um, you're able to help point people in the direction of things that they should be aware of. I'm also looking at stuff that came across my desk just a couple weeks ago uh, from Freedom of Conscience Defense Fund and the Thomas More Society. They released a memorandum um, really addressing the fact that, again, there should be not be rationing of health care and that it's, in fact, discrimination if they're using using age or disability as a reason for not giving certain types of health care to the elderly versus someone who's younger. And it's great because, Brad, this was picked up by so many secular entities. I mean, I even saw this memorandum picked up by Forbes magazine as well. It was incredible to see. Yeah, that's good. I mean, we just got to get, keep getting these arguments out to the public, you know. But if you look at it, um, our government policies, uh, you know, on rationing health care, and utilitarian healthcare and stuff like that, it all is reflecting of our culture, you know. And so now this is a, a, almost a clarion call for us as Christians uh, to stand up for the truth of Jesus Christ when it comes to respecting uh, and all human dignity and all life. And so we got to get this message out uh, more and more to, to take back the culture, and then we can pass laws that truly reflect a pro-life culture. Amen. Brad, I want to get your thoughts. You know, we're talking about certain decisions that might be made on a government scale. Do you see anything of maybe decisions within the healthcare professional profession right now that might be unrecoverable for a period of time because of some of what's being implemented during the coronavirus pandemic? Um, well, what I've been seeing lately is just um, on, on overbilling and balance billing issues. And we can talk a little bit more about that. But I think we're seeing this opportunity to really overbill and gouge the self-pay, cash-pay patient, and I think we need to have um, some restrictions there on how much how much the uninsured people get billed. So I'm concerned about coming out of this crisis that we may set a new standard on, on overbilling and egregious billing. Great. We'll come back and talking about that because I know this is something that really hits the bottom line for most people as what I pay day to day when I go to the doctor. So we'll be right back. We'll also be talking about some of the leading Corona vaccine development and some questions we have about some of the science. 
You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. I'm back with CEO and co-founder of Solidarity HealthShare, Bradley Hahn. Brad, we were talking just a moment ago about how during the coronavirus in particular, and even before the coronavirus, I know Solidarity has been a huge advocate for negotiating down bills and making sure that their members pay a more reasonable price that is um, respectable and appropriate given the type of care that's being given. But given the current crisis, uh, especially people who are uninsured and paying cash are really being hit by being overpaid right now. What can be done? Well, the first thing is you have to be a bulldog, you know, and we talk about being a bulldog on these life issues that, you know, protecting life and respecting all your life. It's the same thing when it comes to your medical bills. You know, and I'll give you an example here is uh, last year for 2019, um, our members submitted $44.3 million worth of medical expenses to Solidarity, and we were able to get those repriced down to $18.8 million. Wow. So we were able to save about 58% off our members' medical bills. And sometimes it's hard work, Emory, because um, we see examples all the time where uh, somebody goes into a hospital system and it's a $22,000 procedure. That's what Medicare would pay. But this Catholic nonprofit hospital system tries to bill this family $230,000 for this. You know, And so you have to go there and fight and say, no, I'm not paying, overpaying for these. I'm going to pay the 20000 or maybe a little more than that so they can make a, a fair and just wage on this. But you have to sometimes you have to push back on this. And we've seen this, too, is we had a, a little baby that was born by a member, and they tried to bill the family $3.3 million. And we were able to get that bill repriced down to under $600,000. So could you imagine how much they're overbilling if they try to, you know, give a family a bill of $3.3 million? That's unbelievable. And I'm just looking at that number. You guys negotiated your bills, medical bills for that year for all of your members down by 58%. If you do not get the fact that you're being overbilled for your health care, it's something that you should see now. And like you said, you've got to be a bulldog. And I think most people aren't prepared to go through and look at the itemized elements and even get an answer for what a price would normally be for a certain type of treatment. I know last time you and I were on the phone, I was talking about how we were having to get um, for a family member a, a heart holter and no one could give us what the price of that heart holter would be for a full month. And so a family member didn't even end up wearing it because we never knew what it would cost. And so we were concerned about, you know, if we don't know what this is going to cost, why would we wear it if we end up paying who knows what out of pocket? Yeah, exactly. And that's what we're trying to do at Solidarity, especially on the physician side. And so God willing, on May 1st, when we launch our new software platform for our members, um, our members are going to be able to go on there to identify uh, what I call the nice and the naughty list for providers. Mm. So let's say I'm here in Arizona and my daughter needs ankle surgery and I want to go to this surgeon. Our members now have to call in to try to find to see if that surgeon will, will accept fair and just pricing or they're going to gouge the family. And mm. so we can direct our members' medical care to those, those doctors that are trying to do fair and just billing. And we want to reward doctors like that that are trying to do the right thing. And so we're going to be able to set that up more online and have more inter- interaction um, so we can even um, really, you know, save every last dollar. And I'm looking at the numbers now for just for this last March and February, um, February and March this last this last couple of months, 
Solidarity's averaged about a 64% discount on our members' medical bills. And so our goal is try to hit about 65% reduction in these medical bills. That's our goal going forward with our new computer and software systems. Excellent. You are listening to Trending with Tim Ray. If you haven't heard the news, I'm really excited to finally be able to share with all of you the news. And that is, I will now be hosting Trending with Tim Ray daily from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, 7 day Eastern on Relevant Radio. That's right. For the first time, you'll be able to interact live with me during the show, call in and hear a little bit of trending every single day. So stay tuned. We'll be launching that Easter Monday, April 3rd. We're less than a week away. With me today is CEO and co-founder of Solidarity HealthShare, Bradley Hahn. Brad, I'm looking at some of the research that's coming out surrounding possible vaccine development for the coronavirus. Now, as we know, vaccines take quite a while to develop, and I know they're trying to push forward a speedier process for a coronavirus vaccine right now, but there's some serious concern, and I know you at Solidarity handle a lot of these difficult, morally compromised medicines. I want to get into that in a second, but I was looking at, here's the bottom line. Moderna, last I knew, was the leading developer for a possible vaccine for coronavirus, and they use a spike protein and that spike protein is produced using fetal baby aborted cells. I mean, this is what we're talking about when we talk about David Delight and going in undercover. This is what he was fighting against is the selling and manipulation of women and their children for medical science and, you know, separate interest in killing a child so that they could use it for science. And what's unfortunate, Brad, is there are alternatives. I know Sananofi Pasture is another organization, and they're looking at other ways to harvest and really develop and cultivate these vaccines that don't involve aborted baby cells. Can you provide us a little more information on this? Yeah, what the, the teacher of the church is this, Tibri, is um, if you, you, you try to avoid those, you, know, you always want to avoid evil and do good any way you can. And so if there's vaccines out there that are produced, that are not produced with uh, aborted fetuses, then we're ob- morally obligated to take those vaccines over the one that has the uh, aborted baby you know, cells in there. And that's one issue. And there's are some good um, online resources where you can track to see which vaccines do not have those issues. And, but then if you do have one, maybe there's one the vaccine out there that has no alternative. And then what we do is you have to kind of do your, uh, your analysis of cooperating with evil. And so, number one, is it is it good to vaccinate your baby for this issue? You know, it, in the overall health of the issue, it is. You know, you could come out and say that it is. But then now the evil is, is you're using this uh, uh, stem cell line from aborted fetus. Then what we must do if we take that vaccine is to protest. You know, protest to the doctor, write a letter to the pharmaceutical company demanding an alternative. And that's what we have to do as, as uh, Christians is stand up for that truth and keep praying for a resolution that will require that. And we help our members do that here at Solidarity. People can call in, is this vaccine okay? You know, and we got lists going through our chief medical officer that analyzes this to try to give our members an alternative. You know, this is a very touchy subject. I hear people on the anti-vaccine side and I hear people on the vaccine side. They're very impassioned. There's a lot of concern. There's a lot of fear and there have been a lot of health issues for many people uh, within this debate. But when you bring in the abortion side of it, I think a lot of people just aren't that aware of it. Yet some of the most common vaccines we have, for example, even just, you know, the chicken pox vaccine utilizes aborted fetal cells. Can you speak a little bit more specifically to that vaccine? 
Yeah, that that's very problematic. And so then, if there's no alternative available, then we have to we have to go through and make a prudential judgment individually. Is it best for my family going through that analysis I gave about what's best for my family health wise? So that would be a prudential judgment decision. But again, we always have to protest and we always have to uh, try to uh, effectuate change in the healthcare industry. And that's what we're trying to do here at Solidarity is try to influence these pharmaceuticals companies to do the right thing. And I'll give you another example, too, is, you know, there's a lot of other issues that we see out there that are immoral, like em- embryo adoption, you know, surrogacy and such like that. So how do we further educate uh, the faithful out there on these intrinsic evil acts out there in healthcare? And how can we as Christians stand up and be a leader uh, to give the truth of Jesus Christ in healthcare? It's a great question. And I mean, I was just following some of the news. I'm pulling it up here right now, but I know there was a major surrogacy law that was passed uh, kind of in the midst. I think it was in New York. Yeah, I'm pulling it up right now. In New York, they use a budget bill to legalize commercial surrogacy during the coronavirus. And this is just unfathomable. Is this really what we're talking about right now? Yeah, and that's what we're seeing. And there's a lot of uh, you know community activists that they never have a good crisis like this go to waste. Mm-hmm. So how can they further push their uh, liberal agendas, uh, anti-life agendas through a crisis like this? And then we saw this with the, the House bill that was being proposed through all the funding that was there for uh, Planned Parenthood stuff. But thankfully, that was stripped out of the Senate bill. So what you have to do is that, that they kind of showed their colors there. And we just have to keep talking to our congressmen. You know, like I was on the phone with one of our congressional staffers here from Arizona saying what needs to be in the upcoming bill. How do we protect life? How do we keep all this evil stuff out of the bills? It's time for us Christians to be more active politically to try to influence the political landscape. Amen. It's a good time to step up. And you guys are really doing an incredible job there at Solidarity HealthShare, stepping up on these important moral issues that don't just, you know, impact the bottom line of people financially. We're talking about a affordable alternative to traditional health care that is literally touching on the issue of the soul of the person. The fact that you were sharing with me earlier about how you guys have implemented um, more guidelines with regard to IVF and surrogacy. Can you speak a little bit more to that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very uh, difficult to, uh, to, especially in the culture, because what does the culture do today? The culture says surrogacy is okay, in vitro fertilization okay, artificial insemination is okay, and embryo adoption is okay. But that's against what the teaching of the church is. So um, morally, as a Catholic, you know, healthcare organization like Solidarity Healthcare, uh, how can we share in expenses uh, if if it's if it's the 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 actions itself, the act of in vitro fertilization, the act of embryo uh, embryo adoption is intrinsically evil? So that's where we have to kind of draw the line. And so at Solidarity, what we do is we, uh, we draw the line where we're not going to share in those expenses. So any type of, uh, you know, uh, doctor visits, the pregnancy, or even the childbirth for those instances, uh, we just can't share in those medical expenses because as Catholics, we have to avoid scandal as well, right? Mm-hmm. And so if all of a sudden it gets out that a Catholic organization like Solidarity HealthShare is, uh, is paying for surrogacy, you know, that's going to promote surrogacy then, and we just can't do that. But once the baby is born and it's a it's a great you know health, God willing a healthy child that's when they can be added to solidarity and we can start sharing those of medical expenses. But we have to be uh, it's a it's a difficult line to draw, but we have to make sure we're grounded in the teaching of Jesus Christ and His Church on these issues. And this is what I love about Solidarity Health Share: you are not having to pay for abortion, for sex change services, for hormonal contraception. 
We'll be right back with Brad Hahn from Solidarity HealthShare. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. Brad Hahn, co-founder and CEO of Solidarity HealthShare is with me. You can learn more at SolidarityHealthShare.org. Again, that's SolidarityHealthShare.org. You know, I think a lot of us are thinking about death right now, maybe a little more seriously than we usually do. And Grant, yes, the coronavirus pandemic is here, but I think as a Catholic, it's always a really good thing to keep our death in sight. You know, we have a whole movement of the Catholic tradition with that phrase, memento memori, remember your death. You know, a lot of the saints would have skulls on their deaths to remind them of their death. And there are different wording. There's wording talking about how I'm not going to remember where it's from, but where um, someone wrote the skull says to the person, you know, um, what you are. I once was and what I am you soon will be. It's a reminder that we are going to die. And so both preparing our soul, going to confession um, is so important, but also what about those moments as we're nearing the end of our life and certain moral decisions are having to be made? Brad, can you talk and actually explain what an advanced healthcare directive is and why it's so important? Yeah, the advanced healthcare directives are basically um, your wishes. Um, on how you want your to be treated at during uh, at, at difficult decisions medically, you know, and also at, at your end of life, and it also can appoint somebody to be in charge of those medical de- decisions. And I'll give you an example. This afternoon, my wife and I are heading to our estate planning attorney's office because I'm no longer the estate planning attorney as of last year. So I had to go out and find a new estate planning attorney to work with, you know. And we're going to be talking about these and signing new documents. And we're also bringing my 18 year old daughter along with us too. Just to start getting her um, used to this, you know, if something happens to mom and dad, here's the documents that are in place to make healthcare decisions. Here's what the living trust in the will does to make those kind of decisions on, on the property side of things. And so it's very important. But what's ha- what I see traditionally in these healthcare documents is this, Timory, is they get very specific, you know, and I always kind of, uh, you know, this may be bad to joke about this, but if I'm on my deathbed and I have one lung that's not working and one's working and I can't eat, then I want to be, you know, I don't want food and water. And the problem with those specifics is you can never uh, outguess the, the medical situation you're going to be at the end of life. And so when I used to draft medical directives, we'd just be, I want to be faithful to the teaching of the Catholic Church. I want proportionate health care. I don't want dis- disproportionate health care. And how do we determine something's proportionate or disproportionate? We look at a few factors. So the first thing is, is and I used to get this call a lot, Timory would say, well, Brad, is this procedure, is this ordinary or extraordinary care? Mm-hmm. And I was like, you can never look at a procedure like that. It has to, how it impacts your, impacts your body. Mm-hmm. So like putting uh, me having a procedure at, you know, at 50 versus my dad who's 75 having a procedure, you know, those, and the body is going to react differently. So you always have to look at the, the procedure and how it impacts the body. Then you can make a good decision uh, based on Catholic moral teaching. 
Mm, that's a really great point. I know some of the things that they talk about in there, um, you know, naming a proxy like you did with your daughter. That's a great example. Yes, having some specifics, but being careful because those specifics can be taken out of context. And so I love where you give the example, you know, according to the Catholic Church on end of life issues and then having that proxy who's well formed to be able to handle this issue. You know, I just got married last year and my poor husband, I remember bringing up not long after getting married. I want to make sure you understand what the Catholic Church's teaching is on end of life decisions because it's not going to be easy in the moment. And so I kept sending him all these articles right after getting married about, you know, making those difficult decisions. And one of the topics that came up, I remember giving the example of is what kind of extent of pain relief medication do you even want? I remember, you know, my great grandmother, I loved her dearly, cared for her toward the end of her life as well. And I remember it was really difficult because she received a little more morphine at the end of her life to help alleviate some of the pain. And, you know, some could clearly see that morphine makes it a little more difficult to breathe. But there's a difference between a lethal death, um, really dosage of morphine that could end a life and a lighter dosage that helps to alleviate pain at the same time, but might make certain symptoms a little more exasperated. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And so the kind of the test is this, is um, we have to avoid euthanasia. And euthanasia is, uh, is an overt uh, act or sometimes it be, uh, you know, a covert act that uh, ends the life of somebody in order to alleviate all suffering. So that's kind of like the classic definition of euthanasia. You know, and so yeah, active or passive, you know, procedures that kill somebody for, in order to alleviate all suffering. You know, and as Christians and, you know, Catholics in particular, is we look at those issues with, uh, with what salvation is about, you know, not what suffering can have such great salvific value. And so we really appreciate those issues. And so um, there's also a really great resource, too, is the National Catholic Bioethics Center that uh, Father Tad Paholchek's involved with. They have some great language to put in your healthcare proxies. And that's the language I used to use when I was a practicing lawyer. Excellent. I'll be sure to send a link to that, but that's NCBC. So that's ncbcenter.org. I'll post a link in the show notes as well, which you can find at radiotrending.com. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. I'm with Bradley Hahn here. He's the co-founder and CEO of Solidarity HealthShare. Brad, do you have some examples that you can also give us of advanced healthcare directives and kind of those in-the-moment decisions? Not that this would be the decision for other people, but the morality maybe of the situation you could explain? Yeah, I'll give you a classic example. One of my clients, when I was a lawyer, I got called in through the Alliance Defending Freedom on this case. And this person couldn't speak English, um, and she was not a U.S. citizen. And so this doctor in this hospital system basically said to this woman, your mom's dying. You have three choices. We can kill her here by removing food and water, or we can dismiss her and send her home to die, or we can send her back to Mexico. Those are your three options. So I got in there and really felt like Jesus up turning the, uh, the, you know, the tables in the, you know, in the synagogue there. I was really mad when I walked into that situation. And what I found out what was wrong with this woman is she went into knee surgery and they never, at the rehabilitation place, they never rehabbed her knee, so she's bedridden. Of course, that's going to cause depression because they never got out of bed to do her oh, physical therapy. And then so when they ran out of days under Medicare, then they dumped her off at, a, at, an, at the emergency room to have the hospital take care of it. And then the hospital just said, let's just end her life. And so we were able to get her out of that place after some making some legal threats to protect her life. And we were able to get her back to a, another um, um, aftercare program. And so she lived another many years after she got and finally started rehabbing her knee 
and she could get out of bed and walk again. But, you know, it's just, we got to be very careful. It's just not quick to rush to judgment just to terminate somebody's life. We have to really take care of these people in a loving Christian way. Thank you for sharing that story. Can you give um, resources out for people who are maybe finding themselves in difficult situations or maybe weren't even aware of it, where they can go? I know you mentioned Alliance Defending Freedom. Where else? Yeah, that's one issue. And the, the other issue on the medical side, the National Catholic Bioethics Center has a, uh, has a hotline, too, for, to answer any moral and ethical questions regarding health care or end-of-life decisions. They're a really good resource. And sometimes, too, our members actually call into Solidarity HealthShare with some of these questions. And I'll give you an example there. Is we had a, a mom call in and basically said, uh, Solidarity, my, my teenage daughter is her regular on her monthly cycle. Um, will you share in a medical expense to send her to Planned Parenthood to get contraception? Because that's what the doctor wants to do. And we were able to talk to mom through our nurses and basically said, well, listen, mom, um, all teenage girls are irregular on their monthly cycle. And contraception is not going to cause, you know, re- rectify this problem. Where do you live? And she lived out in San Diego. And we mm-hmm. said, why don't you go see Dr. George Delgado, a good friend of Solidarity out there in, in San Diego. And the mom took the daughter out there, and Dr. Delgado, you know, checked the, checked the, the, the daughter out and basically found out she was low on some supplements and put her on some supplements, and that really helped with her monthly cycle with the pain and, and the irregularity and stuff like that, and she's doing well today. But what was great about it is the mom called in about a month later in tears, mm. thanking Solidarity for standing up for the truth because she had no idea there was an alternative out there to Planned Parenthood. You know, and this was a Catholic who joined Solidarity who didn't know about the beautiful things about NAPRO technology, natural family planning. And there's some great things that the, you know, pro-women's health centers that are mostly Catholic throughout this country do. And Solidarity, we're very proud to be sponsors and really help get the word out on these clinics. So that's where we can come in is where people just don't understand the truth. And it's our job here at Solidarity to explain the truth to our families, to get them what you know, it's, Catholic health care is not about what you can and cannot do. It's about beauty. It's about the beauty of the body, the beauty of the women, you know, and how do we restore dignity to all human people? Amen. I love that you just gave that example because I am a huge advocate for utilizing our incredible resources like like NAPRO technology and doctors like Dr. George Delgado in San Diego because so many women, so many couples are being told that they have to take contraception. They have to have their tubes tied. They need to take things that are going to further decrease fertility in their bodies. And it's so devastating in the world of IVF and surrogacy that those are the answers people have when they don't have, for example, the alternatives that I think Catholic healthcare really looks to searches out because we know that, you know, abortion, contraception, these things are problematic and it really allows us to get to the underlying health issues. For example, with this girl who just had a deficiency in supplements and that's what she needed treated. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think that's what we need to do is, is show how Catholic healthcare is true beauty and good, you know, and let's just, let's do that and let's get out and and be proud of what we stand for, you know, and be proud of these alternatives we have because, you know, the the hospital systems were invented by Catholics, you know, and it's time for us as Catholics to restore and reclaim an authentic Catholic healthcare system where we care about human dignity, we care about the human person, and we don't allow um, society to dictate those norms to us in healthcare. Brad, thank you so much for joining us. That's a Brad Hahn, co-founder and CEO of Solidarity HealthShare. Where can people learn more about Solidarity? 
Yeah, they can reach us online at SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Or they can simply call us at 844-313-4999. Excellent. We'll have links to Solidarity HealthShare on the website as well. That was Bradley Hahn from Solidarity HealthShare. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guest, visit radiotrending.com. That's radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 